It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, it is officially official to no surprise to anybody. Texas and Oklahoma will be joining the SEC earlier than expected. But what does that mean for LSU? I want to get into that plus so much more on today's edition of Locked in LSU. You are locked on LSU, your daily podcast on the LSU Tigers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, thank you for making Locked on LSU your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Plus, you can find us on YouTube as well. So check us out there, Locked on LSU. My name is Caroline Fenton. You can find me on Twitter at CarolineFenton1. I appreciate y'all for hanging out and for being here today. But the big news of the week, really, I wouldn't say the big news in football because there is a Super Bowl on Sunday. But the big news in college football is that Texas and Oklahoma have now been granted permission by the Big 12 to leave the Big 12 a year early and join the SEC in 2024. So that was really the biggest point of contention for Texas and Oklahoma to to join the SEC in 2024, which was a big push by Texas and Oklahoma, because the SEC has an agreement with ESPN worth millions and millions of dollars that starts in 2024. So if it was inevitable that Texas and Oklahoma were going to join the SEC, then why not join and cash in on that big time deal with ESPN? That's why Texas and Oklahoma wanted to join the SEC. And of course, you get the added element of, you know, television deals being worth more, um, probably having more eyes on your games. Because outside of the, you know, the Red River rivalry, the Texas and Oklahoma game, there really isn't a ton of appointment watching in the Big 12. At least there hasn't been in recent years. So um, other than just the grandeur of being in the SEC, the money was, was the biggest push for Texas and Oklahoma to join the SEC in 2024 as it always is. Money motivates everything. But money was also the biggest factor for Texas and Oklahoma to potentially not join the SEC in 2024, to leave in 2025, as previously agreed, as previously reported. The Texas and OU would leave in 2025. And the the, the sweet spot and the, the reason why 2025 was the year was because that was the year that the television deals expired for the Big 12. So if Texas and Oklahoma left early, that would have been, one, a lot of money that the Big 12 would have had to pay back with their television agreements and a lot of money that each individual school would have to pay back. And that's exactly what they're doing. But now that the Big 12 has gotten um, the the okay and the green light from some of the television networks that the Big 12 has agreements with and that they have figured out a schedule that works with the TV contracts and also kind of adjusts for the, the move. For example, I think Texas and Michigan was the the one biggest point of contention that they play. I believe I want to say like maybe like 2027 and 2032, something along those lines. And they would play at Texas in 27 and at Michigan, whatever the year was. They're supposed to play at Texas first and then at Michigan second, but now they're just going to switch that. And I don't really know why where the game is played is totally dictated by the television contracts, especially when that game is being played after um, 
the scheduled move in 25. I don't know why that was the big holdup, but that was reported by Heather Dennich that that was really kind of the, the biggest holdup for this move. But Texas and Oklahoma are still going to have to dish out a whole lot of cash to leave the Big 12 just a year early. Both Texas and Oklahoma are going to have to pay a combined $100 million to the Big 12 to leave early to make up for the lost revenue um, with, with the television contracts. And you might say that's so ridiculous. That is so not worth it. It's just a year early. Save yourself $50 million. But to those schools, it absolutely positively is worth it. Because Greg Sinke announced on Thursday that each SEC school got $49.9 million each in total revenue. So they're right, right there alone it would make up for the amount of money that each Texas and Oklahoma would have to pay individually. And it's a combined $100 million. So you would say split it in half, $49.9 million, covers a whole lot of that 50 mil that each school is going to have to cough up to the Big 12. So that right, right there makes up for it. And then you also add in the massive television deal with ESPN. That number is only going to go up. That number is going to skyrocket within the next few years because of that deal with ESPN. Now, it's also a fair argument that you're now dividing it up by more schools. Um, that's that's kind of the reason why I think it's silly that the Big 12 is adding four more schools. Uh, BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and I'm missing one, UCF. Because now you're adding those schools but you're also dividing up your revenue by more schools and those schools don't have the same draw as Texas and Oklahoma. So it would be kind of, you would think that the big 12 schools are making net less, even adding more schools because you're dividing your television revenue by more schools and they're not replacing the value that Texas and Oklahoma is leaving. But so now the SEC will be dividing these deals up by more, but it's also bringing in so much more. I mean, Texas and Oklahoma, Texas, really Texas specifically, is one of the biggest, if not the biggest brands in college sports and college football. I mean, that's a huge draw. A, let's, you know, a Texas and Texas game every single year. I mean, that is going to be worth millions. And the biggest thing here is, too, they wouldn't make this move if it meant less money for each individual school. It wouldn't make this move if it meant less money for Texas and Oklahoma. The SEC would not have voted to accept these schools if it meant less money. So I think that's I mean, like, you know, logic would say it means a whole lot more cash and a whole lot more value for the conference as a whole. So the cost to leave the $100 million total between those two schools is going to be made back and then some. It might take a couple of years, but it's going to be made back and it's going to pay dividends. You're going to layer on top of that as well. And, um, and it's really like it's not 100% officially official until the Oklahoma and Texas boards vote on this final approval. But I mean, there's a reason why they've been pushing so hard for this. They're going to vote on it. It's it's not officially official, but it is official. You know, it's going to happen. They're going to um, they're going to vote to approve this. And really, the toughest part of this entire process has been getting the Big 12 on board and the Big 12 commissioner released his statement, uh, Brett Yormark, the Big 12 commissioner, said, as I have consistently stated, the conference would only agree to an early withdrawal if it was in our best interest for Oklahoma and Texas to depart prior to June 30th, 2025. Really, it's if it's in the best interest for the Big 12, if it's in the best interest for me. 
And Brett Yormark justifies this move in saying that it's best, the best move for the Big 12 by saying, by reaching this agreement, we're now able to accelerate our new beginning as a 12-team league and move forward in earnest with our initiatives and future planning, blah, 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 blah. Um, a whole lot of coach speak there. But so you'll have one year in 2023 of overlap of Texas and Oklahoma and Cincinnati, BYU, UCF, and Houston. Those four schools will join the Big 12 on July 1st. So I think that's the Big 12's initiative now is how do we get these four schools in there and, and how do we move forward sans Texas and Oklahoma? And honestly, good luck, Brett Yormark, because I don't know how you replace those two schools and, and become better because of it. I don't see the path for that, but this is overall a good thing for the SEC as much as I hate it, honestly, because I feel like I'm a traditionalist and as much as I hate having to deal with Texas fans, um, overall, it's a good thing for the conference. Overall, each member school will be worth more and get more money out of it. So um, overall, it's a good thing. And I will put my qualms with the Texas Longhorns aside. But what does this mean for LSU? I think we can all read across ESPN.com or The Athletic or whatever it might be and read about information about how this move was made, why it's being made now. But what does it mean for LSU specifically? That's what I want to get into coming up next. But before we do that, I want to tell you about FanDuel because this year, the only app that you're going to need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel. It's America's number one sports book. And we are super excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America, FanDuel. So if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. So download the FanDuel app now and you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no sweat first bet. You will get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to who will score a touchdown. Give me Jalen Hurts to score a touchdown on Sunday against the Kansas City Chiefs. Jalen Hurts has scored a rushing touchdown in seven of his last nine games. I think it's a pretty good bet that he'll find the end zone at some point against the Chiefs on Sunday. The FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Best of all, you can get paid for winnings instantly. Go have fun with that money. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. NCAA tournament is almost here and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Well, thank you for making Locked On LSU your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts and make sure you check out our brand new podcast, Locked on college basketball. Everything that you need to know about college basketball all in one place. Plus, you can hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked on college basketball available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. So Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC. I mean, you can feel however you feel about it on a personal level. I I am a traditionalist. I didn't even like Mizzou and Texas A&M joining the SEC. I'm still caught up in the uh, – in the, in the olden days of the 12-team SEC. But it's it's happening. It's happening, so you can either embrace it or you can hate it and hate your life. Um, so what comes next for LSU? What comes next for the SEC? The first question that needs to be addressed is, what is the SEC going to do with divisions? 
what is the SEC going to do with uh, the with conference construction? It came out a while ago, you know, when there was talks about this move potentially being pushed up and then the talks kind of stopped and there was discussion last week that it might not happen until 2025 because of all the red tape that they'd have to go through. But now we know that that, that that's the case. But the the uh, conversation when the talk was about Texas and Oklahoma joining in 2024 was the SEC potentially getting rid of divisions. And Greg saying he has doubled down on that. He was on McElroy and Kubulik this morning and mentioned how they are, are moving toward a one division format. So, you know, the days of the East and the West likely are gone. I think if Greg Sankey is telling us now that now, that's probably is going to be what it is moving forward. So how are schedules going to be constructed? You can't play 15 teams every single year. You're not enough weeks in the schedule for that. So some of the the ideas that have been thrown out there are pods, like four or 14 pods, and you play different pods every year. I don't like that. I think that's too structured. I think it's too it closes you off too much. And I don't think that that necessarily goes along with Greg Sankey's initiative for SEC teams to play other SEC teams more frequently. I mean, let's not forget Georgia and Texas A&M have only played one time since Texas A&M joined the SEC over 10 years ago now. So I think if that's going to be Greg Sankey's initiative, that you start to see a little bit more variety in scheduling, then I don't think pods is going to be the most likely case. Two super divisions is another idea. Two eight-team divisions, and you might see some jumbling up of, um, you know, potentially Auburn going over to the east, Missouri coming over to the west, whatever it might be. You would see some division shuffle, but like Greg Sankey said, he wants to get away from divisions, so that's probably out the door. I think that the most likely scenario is one that was brought up, I believe, over the summer. And it was that each team has three permanent rivals. And that's different from pods because each team would have different rivals. In a pod, you know, you've got four. Let's say you've got a, a pod of Alabama, Auburn, LSU, and Florida. You only, like, you play, all of those teams only play each other, and then you, you go around to the different pods. In this scenario, each team would have three different opponents every single year. And then it's variety from there. So you've got three permanent rivals and then the schedule makers go from there for the remaining how many uh, six games of the schedule of the of the year. I like that idea. I do. I like the variety. But I think what this means for LSU that really makes me detest the way that the SEC is going is that we're going to be losing inevitably some rivalries. We and like LSU is not going to be able to play every single rival rival every single year. And that's what I value. That's what I value about LSU. I think that, you know, we as LSU fans love tradition. This is a school and a program steeped in tradition. And part of that, and while the tradition is going to exist, no matter who you play, no matter who is on your schedule, you know, you're still going to have, you know, the golden band from Tigerland come out and play those three notes before every single game. You, know, you still have Mike the Tiger. You still have all of these really niche pieces of culture that make LSU what it is, LSU football what it is. But part of that tradition is based off of who LSU plays every year. I mean, the LSU-Alabama game, is woven within the fabric of LSU football. Same thing with Ole Miss, same thing with Auburn, same thing with Florida. And you're not going to be able to play all three of those schools every single year. Add Arkansas in the mix as well. 
Texas A&M is a new rival, but it's still a, a budding rivalry no matter what. I mean, whether you like it or not, like that's that's a game that means something now. You know, the home team has won it every single year over the past, I don't know how many years, but over the past few years. I mean, that's a true rivalry right there. Um, so that's what I don't like about this. The SEC is a tradition, is a, is a conference steeped in tradition. And going this way, going this route, you're taking tradition away. My question for the SEC about LSU is, what rivalries does the SEC value most for LSU? Because I've seen some, some mock um, conference makeups, mock schedules, and there was one mock schedule that I saw that had LSU's three permanent rivals being Ole Miss, A&M, and Oklahoma. Miss me with that. That's not traditional LSU football. If it's, let's say, Ole Miss, Alabama, and Florida would probably be my trio of permanent games that, that I would take. I think that makes sense for all, all schools involved. Like for me, if, like for Alabama, like the three most obvious permanent rivals that make the most sense are Auburn, LSU, and Tennessee. There's a little song about how much Alabama hates those three teams. So I don't see a path, or at least I can't even rationalize in my mind an SEC in which LSU doesn't play Alabama every year, in which LSU doesn't play Florida every year. I mean, look back on the SEC and some of the best LSU games are played against those teams. Those are rivalries. That is tradition. And I understand that those things change. Like, I mean, it hasn't been that long that LSU and a and have been playing on quote-unquote rivalry weekend, but I don't think that a majority of LSU fans were too thrilled about that in the first place. Like I mentioned, it's, it's budding into a rivalry, but still it, it felt a little forced from the beginning. So now you're going to have two forced rivalries for LSU on their schedule every single year in Oklahoma and A&M. It just doesn't feel right to me. It, it doesn't, it, it doesn't feel right that there could be a, a world where LSU doesn't play these games every single year. And then let's look at the rivalry week games. That is tradition. That is college football. I mean, that that week, that Saturday of, of Thanksgiving, I guess Thursday too, if you threw the bowl in there, you know, that week of Thanksgiving, like those are some of the best games in college football. Texas A&M, I can only assume, will probably play Texas that week. That really only makes sense. I mean, that's a super heated rivalry um, that goes back years and years and years. So who's LSU's rival going to be now? The, the – uh, the most rational path that I can see is that AM and Texas play each other on uh, rivalry weekend. Oklahoma and Missouri play each other on rivalry weekend. Let's not forget, Missouri was in the Big 12 not too long ago. And that was a rivalry now. Oklahoma and Missouri were not good friends now. So I could see those two rivalries kind of being reignited, which I think would be a fun thing for the conference, bringing a little bit of historical context back to the SEC. So LSU-Arkansas would make sense to me. That also, going back to rivalry week between LSU and Arkansas, that I think is the perfect construction. Oklahoma-Missouri, A&M-Texas, LSU-Arkansas, that to me makes the most sense. But then if Arkansas is going to be one of LSU's permanent rivals, then that only leaves two more. So, you know, you got Auburn, Alabama, Florida, Ole Miss. You only get three of them? I only get to pick three? Well, as much as fun as I think it would be to have a lot more variety within the SEC schedule, I'd rather play Arkansas, Auburn, 
Ole Miss, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi State every year over playing Vanderbilt more frequently. I mean, I, I am a person who doesn't like change. And I am a traditionalist. That's why I love college football. I just don't like the way that a conference steeped in tradition is, is looking toward taking away tradition. But I don't know if that's going to be how the SEC pans out. In my opinion, that seems like the most likely route. Three permanent uh, rivals, and then you go from there. Coming up next, some news in the NFL and what that means for LSU football. We'll get into that coming up next. The NCAA tournament is almost here, and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, well, let's get into it because Justin Jefferson just got some hardware last night. Justin Jefferson wins Offensive Player of the Year at the NFL Awards last night. So rightfully so. Justin Jefferson was the only non-quarterback finalist for the NFL MVP award. It was um, the finalists. Joe Burrow, of course, obviously. Uh, Patrick Mahomes won MVP. Um, Justin Jefferson was one. Jalen Hurts, and I believe Josh Allen. That was your top five. Justin Jefferson, the only non-quarterback as the finalist for the for an MVP Justin Jefferson had 128 receptions, almost 2,000 yards, y'all. 1,809, 1,809 yards for Justin Jefferson on the year, eight touchdowns. What a huge year for him. Now, my co-host on my radio show in Nashville, he is a former NFL wide receiver, and we were having this conversation today about, you know, I feel like a lot of these awards can be interpreted however you'd like. Like MVP, to me, is not the best player on the best team or the quarterback on the best team. It's who is the most valuable piece of your team that if you took that player away, you're a completely different team. That's how I interpret MVP. And I, I think that's that, you know, Patrick Mahomes winning that award is very fair, very valid comeback player of the year. To me, it interpreted as you're coming back from something like you were up here and then you sunk down low and then you came back to that level. Geno Smith didn't come back from anything. Geno Smith was just, a, it was just a backup and then he had a fine year. Um, so I think it's just, it totally depends on how you interpret these awards. We were having the conversation about MVP and my co-host, who was a former NFL wide receiver, he'd been there. He said, is it the MVP is it the most valuable player or is it the best player? And he made the argument that Justin Jefferson was the best player in the NFL. That it, it's really tough to beat on a quarterback for that posi- for that award just because it's a quarterback. It's the most important position in football. It's the most important position in sports. But he said he thinks the best player in the NFL is Justin Jefferson. And you know what? I am not one to argue with that. And what a wonderful honor for LSU football last night. Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson up on the stage at the NFL Honors. And then you also look at on Sunday on, at the Super Bowl. Clyde Edwards-Alaire will be back. He's been on IR for the last seven weeks. He's been activated for the Super Bowl, coming off of a high ankle sprain that he suffered in week 11. So looking at these weekends, the biggest weekends in football, the biggest weekends in honors and games in the NFL, in LSU is all over it. 
two nominees for MVP. Offensive Player of the Year. Rookie of the Year in 2020 and 2021. And Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. Clyde Edwards-Alaire is going to be on the field on Sunday. There's been an LSU Tiger from that 2019 team in every single Super Bowl since. The impact, and not just LSU has on the NFL, we know that. That's, I mean, that's nothing new. That is something that this football program has always been able to brag about, is that you come to LSU and there's a clear path for you to get to the NFL. But it's even looking even further and looking at the impact of that 2019 team. Sometimes it even surprises or it even like shocks me. Like sometimes I even have to take some time to really like rationalize how good that team was. That there were so many players from that team that are honored as being some of the best in the league. Like we're going to look back one day in 20 and 30 years and say, oh my gosh, Joe Burrow, Justin Jefferson, and Jamar Chase were on the same college team? That's incredible. No wonder they were the best team in college football. No wonder they were the best team in the history of the sport. And so I never want to let that go unnoticed. I never want to let that go unrecognized. Just how impactful that team was, not just for LSU and and its football program, but it's making shockwaves in the league. And that's really freaking impressive. Now, can you get back to that? That's the next question. Good luck, Brian Kelly. Also, um, a little bit of news that I just wanted to touch on about Brian Kelly, the the report from WBRZ that he and his wife had filed for divorce. And then his kids came out and said, no, that's fake, like fake news. They're fine. Um, and all the subsequent backlash. I It's not my role to talk on that. Um, I understand why it's news. Brian Kelly is the highest paid employee in the state of Louisiana. I understand that when you're the head football coach at LSU, anything that happens within your personal and professional life is going to be news. Um, it's not my, my place to speak on that. I hope that everything's good with him and his family. I hope that everything is, is good with them moving forward. Not my role. Hope everything's cool. Um, that's that's all I that's all I have to say on that. But that's gonna do it for me today. Enjoy Super Bowl weekend. Enjoy Super Bowl Sunday. Hope everyone has a very healthy, happy, and safe weekend. Thank you for making Locked LSU your first listen today. For your second listen, check out our brand new podcast, Locked on College Basketball. Experts Isaac Shade and Andy Patton bring you everything that you need to know on and off the court. Plus, you can hear from big name experts, coaches, and players throughout the basketball landscape. Locked on College Basketball available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.